This is My Take Radio's Behind the Mic. Welcome to the newest installment of My Take Radio Behind the Mic, available exclusively for the My Take Radio app on iOS and Android devices. My guest for this new installment is Nick Craig from Radar Gaming. Also, he is the host of On the Radar, which is a video show covering video games, and it's run in conjunction with his site, RadarGaming.net. What's going on, Nick? How are you? I'm great, Rich. How are you? Thanks a lot, man, for taking the time out of your schedule to talk with us and share a little bit about your brand with our listeners. It's a pleasure, and I really do think that this is a great idea for you for your exclusive app. Well, one of the things I'm sure everybody's going to want to know first and foremost is what is Radar Gaming and how did it get started? Well, Radar Gaming is a conjunction of different things. Um, the website itself is just basically it's it's a it's an aggregator of all of the different side projects that I'm currently doing so um part of radar gaming is my video game live stream I do a daily video game live stream another part of it is a a gaming youtube channel that I do and then the final part of it is my like you mentioned my podcast on the radar what made you decide to expand it into so many different directions and not focusing on one general aspect first well, the thing is, is with the live streaming community in gaming, they're very, uh, they're very niche to that audience. They don't really wander outside of the, the the live streaming gaming scene. So, what I decided to do is to try to pull some of the audience from the people that would normally just watch gameplay into a podcast and into YouTube, and try to pull them from you know Twitch TV to different sources. Are you doing on the radar on Twitch for those that are interested in checking it out? Yeah, I am. I'm doing it on my uh, Twitch TV channel, twitch.tv slash 360gaminglive. And how's the how's the the trans the transition from that to your other projects been working out for you? It's broken out really well and it's 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 almost like I'm networking inside of my own community because I can pull, you know, there's certain people that are interested in technology that are also interested in gaming and then there's people that are just interested in gaming and then there's people that are just interested in technology. So I can kind of group all of those people together in one big place. How vital has it been also from a social standpoint to build radar gaming because that's one of the things that's been kind of the driving force with a lot of gaming communities. It's building out that particular niche because everything has become so social even to the way that we play our games, you know, Xbox Live is, you know, the, the pretty much the driving force for for that aspect of gaming. Yeah, I mean, the social aspect of it is tough because you know some of these people they're they're really dedicated to the people that they watch. So trying to get them outside of that the, that community that they're already in is it can sometimes be tough because they are really really loyal to you know one or two people. Um, on your Live str- on your live streams, I know you're doing the show, but you're also integrating some gameplay in there. What are your primary focuses? Are you doing more PC gaming? Are you doing a mix of PC and console? Do you like doing more throwback gaming? 
Um, with, with with the channel, I, I kind of market it as a, a free for all kind of channel. Um, I have consoles like the Xbox and the PS3. I also have a Nintendo sixty four and an NES, and then I also do some PC games like Minecraft and Team Fortress Two and all those other games. And do you are you participating in multiplayer while you're doing the show? Or are you just doing more of a of a hey check this game out and, and kind of just coming off the cuff and sharing your thoughts with the audience? For the most part, I would say I do a lot of multiplayer because when you know I put in the title of my stream uh, playing Call of Duty, come come join it. It pulls more of an audience because they can you know interact with me, they can talk to me on Xbox, and they you know they can just you know hang out and have a good time. Well, for those that are looking to get into live streaming, of course, I'm sure the big question is how. What kind of a setup are you running, and is it um, something that anybody can get into, and is it easily accessible? Well, here's the issue with it is you have to invest a lot of money in, into video game live streaming because you, you need a pretty beefy computer to do it. Um, I would say that you can't spend under $1,000 to, to start video game live streaming, at, le- at least to get a decent quality live stream. Um, you, you know, If you're going to pull in consoles, you need a capture card that's $100 or so. For a decent computer, you're talking eight, nine hundred dollars, and then plus audio equipment and uh, programs, you're coming into about a thousand dollars. Okay, because I'm sure a lot of people are going to have that question because it seems that the the boom of of YouTube and live streaming has has really taken a turn for the mainstream access. Because even Twitch TV, you know, that started as just an offshoot of Justin TV because there was such a huge turnout of people doing live streaming and sharing gameplay online good still there <laughs> yeah yeah you you started breaking up <clears throat> no what i was saying was that the twitch tv is started off basically as an offshoot from justin tv because there were so many people making the jump to live stream yeah, and a major part of it was when you used to go on Justin TV. That Justin TV, if you, if you're not familiar with it, is a is an altogether live streaming site. It's got music, uh, video games, live casting. It's got everything on there. And gaming was dominating Justin TV. And if you went on that site and you looked at the front page, you couldn't find anything else besides gaming. So what they did is they kind of branched it off into its own separate website so that they could also. Uh, you know, cater to the needs of the people that weren't doing video games on Justin TV. And how do you feel about, you know, Twitch TV in relation to services like the Ustream and other services out there? Do you think that Twitch TV is just more gamer friendly? Yeah, and the thing is, is with Twitch, it's just strictly gaming, unlike sites like Ustream and Livestream, where they're, you know, there's everything combined into one general website. When you go to Twitch TV, all you're going to find is gaming. And to be honest with you, if you go on Ustream or Livestream, um, you're not going to see much gaming on there. You'll see maybe a handful of channels live. So there the really isn't a big audience outside of Twitch for video game live streaming. Taking your episodes from the live stream, are you also capturing that stuff for your YouTube channel or are you doing separate content for that just based off archive footage from the from the streams that you've done? Every once in a while, if we have a funny moment or a really awesome moment, we can go into the Twitch TV backend and highlight it, and then there's a YouTube exporter in there. So we don't take all of the content from the live streams because those can be four, five, six hours. But we upload different sections that we think people will enjoy. Well, one of the things I wanted to ask, did you, are you using um, an, an NPC capture system to capture your gameplay, or are you using some of the newer stuff that's out there, you know, like a HD PVR or a uh, Game Capture HD? I actually, I have a really interesting setup for a pulling in console. So... I do YouTube as uh, alongside of doing uh, live streaming. So 
out of my console, I'm going into an HD PVR, and then out of my HD PVR, I'm going into an internal uh, PCIe capture card. So for, for Xbox gaming, I have to go through two capture cards, and then for PC gaming, I can just do a screen capture. Wow, that's a, that's a lot of work, don't you think, on the, on the back end when you have to cut all that up, or is it, is it something that works very seamlessly? It's tough because for me to capture gameplay and live stream, I have to have two capture programs open at the same time, the, the, the HD PVR capture program and then the live stream capture program plus the broadcaster itself. So it puts a lot of strain on a PC, and that's when the aspect of having a really strong, powerful PC comes into play. Well, the, with, the, with the drop in the price of so many high-end components, I think that we're going to see a, con, a continual improvement in live streaming from, from start to finish. I mean, a lot of guys are doing more uh, capture a little bit, then export to YouTube, maybe blend it in with some music. But you and a handful of others are really putting in the work of just doing multiple hours, but also engaging your audience constantly. I mean, I do the occasional stream, but my setup isn't conducive to me interact—excuse <clears throat> me interacting with the stream, but also playing at the same time because my, my studio, my computer are across the room from my regular TV setup. So I'm using a... Uh, a game capture HD, and then I'm running that with you know a, a 10 foot USB cable to my computer. Yeah, and so. that, that was a, a real struggle for me when I when I set up and decided I'm really going to focus on video game live streaming. I had to completely restructure my whole setup here. Um, I bought another desk, I bought a couple monitors, and had to completely move everything around because for video game live streaming, like you said, you can't have things on the other side of the room because then you're not near any of your PC components. Yep, I can't. Usually I'll stream and I'll stream like retro games and very uh, occasionally I'll, you know, I'll walk from the game to my PC to see what people are saying in the chat, but it's never, it's never that seamless. And I haven't, like I said, I've been doing it on and off, so it's not something I'm making the jump to. So I know myself and a lot of listeners are going to want to know the, the ideal setup. So the way you, you know, given the investment you've made, it's not something that anybody can just jump into at 500 bucks and expect to have, you know, a thousand subscribers. Yeah, that's that's the real issues. I will. I for me, I'm a, I'm still a smaller channel. I tend to browse the 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 lower pages in Twitch to see other smaller live streamers, and I see a lot of people with. You can tell they just went out to Walmart and spent four hundred dollars on a computer and expected to be pulling seven twenty p quality out of it. And that's I think the real issue is people people are under the assumption like you know with YouTube it's like just get a camera and you you can do anything, and that's not the case with video game live streaming because. You can be streaming a game, but there's always going to be somebody streaming it at a better quality somewhere else, and they're going to go where the quality is, especially because it's such a visual aspect. Well, one of the things that's been happening also is a lot of people that are streaming are picking up, you know, they're picking up advertisers, they're getting more mainstream stuff, they're becoming YouTube partners. Um, is that something you're aspiring to do, or are you doing it just as, a, as an additional benefit for your brand? I think everybody's eventually got the goal of becoming some major partner. For me right now, I'm not harping on it too much just because I generally enjoy playing video games. So I'm going to be playing Call of Duty Black Ops anyway. So why not live stream it and engage with an audience and maybe pick up a full team to play with? That's that's pretty much how that's how I do it. Basically, on the premise of I'm playing anyway, so I just like to share it with other people. Maybe some people will share some some guidance. Maybe some people say, hey, you know, I like this. Maybe I like this. And other people, I just hope it just translates to them checking out the site or checking out the show. So the, for me, it's almost like like a gateway drug. Yeah. 
And you can tell when people are faking it. Yeah, you know, there's people that will sit there and they'll just be like, I need more viewers, I need more viewers, follow my channel, follow my channel, subscribe. And and then there's the people and I mean everybody does that. When they're when you're not getting the outcome that you expect, you're you're gonna be a little frustrated. But there's those people that you can tell are just playing the game because they wanna have people watching. And then there's other people that are actually enjoying playing the game and also just adding that live streaming aspect to it. Well, one of the things that's been happening as of late is obviously there's talk of next generation consoles and some and all the changes that are being rumored to be taking place. And one of the things that a lot of people have been talking about is the pretty much the the archiving of gameplay footage that may become something of a feature with brand new consoles when they come out. How you know how do you feel in relation to that? And do you think that that's going to be something that's going to change the landscape not only of of your brand but just of streaming in general? I think it's something that poses a threat to anybody that's live streaming right now. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Origin client on PC. Yes. Yeah, the Origin client already has a built-in Twitch TV broadcaster, so you can just launch the Origin client and live stream straight to Twitch TV. And it's a threat to people because now, instead of having to invest money in software, now you can just play your favorite game on Xbox or on PC and just click a button and now you're live. So you, you are taking the people that had to know to buy the software, how to do audio and all that other stuff, and now they're just doing it with a click of a button. So I, it poses a threat to anybody that's currently doing it. Yeah, one of the things I noticed over the last few years, especially playing a lot of fighting games, it was the you know the inclusion of the replay button and the inclusion of save a recording. And I started seeing it implemented more and more. You know, Street Fighter, uh, Super Street Fighter 4 Arcade Edition, Street Fighter Cross Tech, and I started seeing that. And I said to myself, this this really looks like they're kind of firing that first shot at the live streaming community and letting them know that you guys aren't going to be the only game in town for much longer. Yeah, and I think that's what people want to see. You know, if you have an amazing KO in in, in uh, a fighting game, you're going to want to see that two or three times. So, so you know, adding that replay function means that you don't have to go in software and be recording it and then rewind it. You can just click a button and then there it is. Well, switching gears a little bit from from the live streaming aspect and getting into the gaming, which you know is the the meat and potatoes of what do you do. The, of course, the E3 pretty pretty much around the corner before you know it and everybody's talking about brand new consoles and of course one of the features we were talking about was that archiving gameplay footage what do you what are you hoping to see with these new consoles going forward i mean there's rumors of the 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 death of used gameplay from used games on the playstation 3 other people are saying that the xbox 360 needs to come out with a, with a strong hardware showing or they're going to get eclipsed by the playstation 3 what are your expectations with regards to that, and where would you like to see these new consoles head in the near future? You know, currently the Xbox 360 is, I think it was released in 2006, so it's a pretty old piece of hardware. And my expectations with, this, with these new consoles are that these are going to be fast enough to be, you know, using the same kind of graphics card that I'm using in my PC. There's rumors that the Xbox 360 is having a six-core processor. When you think about that, most, you know, if you buy out a laptop, you know, today, if you go to Walmart, it probably doesn't even have a six-core processor. So you're talking about some really advanced pieces of hardware. And I think it's necessary because these games are getting more advanced, uh, more graphic-intensive, and you need that better hardware. And that's my expectation is better hardware. And if it costs a little bit more, then it does. But I, at least I know that the hardware is strong that's powering everything. Where do you, where, where do you stand with physical media? Do you think that these new consoles are going to start 
kind of shying away from physical media and, and focusing more on the online and on-demand component? You know, I, I did a, vid- a YouTube video on this um, a while back, and I had some feedback from my audience. And one thing they said is broadband internet is still not available everywhere in the United States. I agree. So if you live out in the middle of the country and you're on DSL, how long is it going to take you to download a 13 gigabyte game? I mean, you're going to be spending a week and a half trying to download a game. And I just think that these next line of consoles are not going to be able to get rid of physical media because people are just not going to be able to access those games. And then you also throw in bandwidth caps. Well, can you only download two games a month? Because if you download any more, you already hit your bandwidth cap. Makes perfect sense. Me, me personally, I'm a huge, huge supporter of physical media. Like I have, and I have a buddy of mine, uh, one of the writers for the site, he made the jump completely digital, sold his Blu-rays, uses Apple TV, and, and I applaud him for it because, you know, it was good. It, it, it's good for, for his workflow. For me, I still like holding a tangible product in my hand. Yeah, and uh, the other thing is, you know, what kind of warranty goes with that? You, you know, currently right now you have physical media. You know, you scratch a game disc, you bring it back to GameStop, and they will normally replace it for you. But with physical, uh, with a downloadable game, let's just say your 13 gigabyte game gets corrupted, so now you have to completely re-download the game. Especially and now, if you're on DSL again, now you've got to spend another two days downloading it. So I don't think that um, getting rid of physical media is a, is a viable option right now. Where do you feel Xbox needs to stand to to gain a leg up like they did in this generation's console wars? For them to get a leg up, they, they, they need to not cheap out on their console. And there's been rumors that, that this console is not going to be as powerful. And Sony's coming out and saying, you got to bring your A-game because we're going to completely blow the console out of the water. So for them to, to have the, the, the upper hand, first of all, they need to keep Xbox Live supported currently. and They don't need to have any downtime. And they, they really need to talk to their community because that's one thing that Xbox really doesn't do is they'll just go and change stuff and... Everybody hates it. You know, you've got YouTube commentators hating on it. You got players hating on it, and they don't really care. And I think support is really what's going to matter in this next generation. Yeah, that's one of the things. I mean, occasionally I'll get a a, a beta invite for you know a new Xbox 360 dashboard or new functionality. I mean, I tested the the UFC app, and I remember when I tested the UFC app, I'm like, wow, this interface looks really good, but the navigation for the main screen is going to really frustrate a lot of people, especially when they, you know, flipped it on its head and made it more about the connect than anything yeah. else. People, people weren't prepared for that, especially when so few people had invested the hundred bucks in the connect to begin with. Yeah. And they, I think the, the major issue with connect is people just generally don't have the space. Like for me right now, I wouldn't be able to put a connect in this room. I think you need to stand at least 10 to 15 feet away from your TV for connect to fully capture your surroundings so for most people if they're in a bedroom or in a small basement they don't even have room for a connect yeah i had to i had to mickey mouse some stuff to get my connect to work and i can't even play all of those really really super spread out your furniture kind of games for that reason you know at most fruit ninja maybe um you know games like that just games that, that can be relegated to a small plane because the, the expansion is just, they, they expect way too much. Yeah. I think, I also, of, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say that, that I just feel touch is not the way to go. Especially with, like, like when, when you're playing a fighting game, Rich, do you want to be sitting there waving your arms around in the air? Never in a million years. I tried it. 
I tried it yeah. with Connect Dragon Ball Z, and it sucked. <laughs> yeah, I have a friend that has a uh, PlayStation Move, and I think it's. No, nah, I'm get, I'm gonna get it wrong. But one of the one of the games on there, you have the the actual uh, gun where you put the the motion controller in, and it's it's not the same. You know, y- you get used to this. This one thing controls everything. But now I'm walking around his basement with a controller in my hand, like I'm shooting a real gun. And I for the Wii and and games that are more you know party friendly, I think it's fine. But to try to push this motion control on all of their uh, audience is not right because the Xbox it's mostly hardcore gamers. It's it's not people that are playing you know Scrabble or Tetris or whatever else on their console with with the touch uh, screen. It's it's not. It's the hardcore FPS gamers. Well, in bringing up Nintendo, you you bring up a valid point in the sense that Nintendo took took advantage of that party game, uh, senior citizen, young kid market with the Wii and. It was good and and it was fun while it lasted, but Microsoft once again just crawled up and and bit them in the ass, so to speak, and they kind of just tumbled down to to third place because Sony started climbing. In, in Nintendo's case, do you think that them releasing the Wii U without so much graphic and and just internal power is going to be a hindrance when when these new systems drop? Because these guys are going to see that they're like, oh, it's easy pickings with with Nintendo at this point. Yeah, I think the specs on the on the Wii U are just very, very slightly more advanced than the current Xbox 360 console, which was released in 2006. So, I mean, the the, the first generation Wii wasn't even HD. So N- Nintendo is just behind. And to be honest, like you said, that they're going for this senior citizens, younger kids, party game audience. They're not going towards the kid that's wanting to play a first-person shooter at 60 frames a second. So... You know, it, it's definitely competition, but they're not selling out of the market that, hey, come play the Wii U and you can play a first-person shooter with full 1080p graphics. And it's a shame, too, because they they really always have tremendous innovation at their disposal, especially, you know, the touchpad was a nice idea. But again, the touchpad wasn't multi-touch friendly and, and the the applications of it, most of them are novel at best and they're novelty items but you're you're still missing what i continue to say has been the bane for nintendo and that's first person i mean uh first party titles which yeah. are you, you they come out of the gate they go yeah you're gonna have 60 games at launch and blah 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 but again first party titles are scarce you got i think two at launch and you're still not gonna see another first party title till maybe march or april during yeah, during and- the time that's crucial yeah, and you know, like well, I'm just gonna throw this out there, like a game like Mario Kart, which is personally the only reason that I still own a Wii. That I, I would think that that would be a release title for Nintendo because Agreed. that I, that was one of their biggest games, but it's not, and I don't that that's there's not even a rumor of that coming down the pipe anytime soon. So the, the, they just don't have good strategies in the back end. Well, the funny thing is, you know, they 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 made the tablet um, that that kind of can work separate from the console, which is nice. You know, you can watch some of the content. But they're not maximizing that to the extent of what I said on on a couple of episodes for for my show, where I said you take a game like Madden, you know, do the play calling right on the tablet, use that in conjunction with the game. Maybe have another guy hold the tablet and he can be your play caller. Things yeah. like that. They're not maximizing that, and they're not even going out of their way to promote it, which is a tragedy in itself. Yeah, like um, my cousin has the Wii U and has Call of Duty Black Ops Two on it, and. The, the the gamepad is the mini map. 
but the minimap's already on the screen. So they're not adding any other aspect. They're just taking part of the already on-screen display and just pushing it down to that tablet. And like you said, they're just not utilizing this great technology that's sitting right in front of them. Well, I think it with Black Ops 2, especially if you want to try to to kind of reinforce togetherness and, and playing with people in your house, I, I've always felt that if you're doing that, you can have your main person and then have a person with the tablet be a squad mate in the game and just have the screen be their map and then the controller and everything else be their trigger and their guide. Yeah. And they, they should, you know, those are ways that you can implement that. And it's not only allowing people to, to play together, but it's saying, Hey, you know, you guys can enjoy this game, have independent screens, kind of like what you're doing already with, with, you know, multiple TVs when you're doing a land party. Yeah. Like every once in a while during the summer, I'll have a few friends over and, you know, everybody brings their TVs and there's, 20 kids in my basement with 20 TVs and 20 Xboxes. You know, if, you know, if we could chop that number in half or even a quarter and everybody have, you know, three, four people on the same console, but with w- just one game pad, I mean, that really changes everything. Exactly. And that's, that's where I was, uh, I felt that Nintendo kind of dropped the ball. Even with Mario Kart, if you're doing local Mario Kart and you can use two tablets and three controllers and maybe the people that are playing the tablets maybe they see the 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 track and then they can also see you know the other drivers or partially rear view mirror but it'll give people more of a of an opportunity not just to play online but to play together yeah and and that like like you said it's the party game senior citizens young kids thing that's what they're doing they're not playing multiplayer they're playing together with family and friends yep they're not going online it's not like xbox 360 where you know, 20 people are in a are in a party talking to each other and playing 10 different games and maybe five people are playing together. There's there's none of that. On the contrary, Nintendo's not even going out of their way to push their online service. All they talk about is the innovation of the controller and the the family friendly and easily accessible price of the console. And that's great. And with the economy the way it is, I respect them for doing that. But they really are going to be eaten up if they don't step their game up with this brand new console war on the horizon yeah and i i think i think nintendo's or I, I don't i don't know i want to hear your take on this but do you feel that nintendo's even trying to compete with the next generation consoles i think that nintendo's put the back themselves into a corner because they created tremendous innovation and they're never going to acknowledge the competition because it, you know the 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 japanese they they're always about keeping it in-house so to speak sony's guilty of it the same way like they're they're always trying to worry about pleasing the Japanese audience, and the American audience kind of comes second. Yeah, and you can see that just just with the way the games are released and the exclusivity and all the cool stuff that the Japanese market gets, and then the 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 American market, yeah, they get some of the cool stuff too, but it's not on the same level. And to some, like you know, the, when they were allowing you to watch television on your 3DS, you know, yeah. that was something that went down in Japan first. And it hasn't even been broached over here in America. And it's and it, these are the things that, if you keep the innovation the same across the board, it makes people really, really say, "Wow, these guys are are forward thinking and they're and they're ready to take risks." They're not doing that. It's almost like Japan is their test audience. They gain the benefits, and then maybe we'll get it. But Japan gets the guinea pig and try it out first. And it makes Nintendo just really not want to be competitive, which is a shame because. And I've talked about this at length. Before it's that Nintendo shouldn't be afraid of just Nint- of um, Microsoft and Sony, but they should be afraid of Apple that continues to create powerful handheld systems that 
can can pretty much take market share away from gaming without even trying. Yeah, I mean, why if if let's so hypothetically, if you've got two small children and uh, an iPad Mini, why would you go out and buy two 3DSs? Any Thing that you could possibly do on the 3ds, you can find an equivalent on this iPad Mini. So, you know, th- this this whole their handheld market. I mean, that's almost completely dead now with with, with the power of a- Android tablets and the iPad and even the iPhone. You know, th- that market is basically all dried up. Well, I've always said, and and one of our one of our writers, Josh, he says it all the time. He says Nintendo should start licensing out licensing out some of that stuff for for mobile gaming. Like not, nobody's saying, hey, put you know Super Mario, new Super Mario Brothers on there, but why not release like Mario One, Mario Two, Mario Three on the Apple Store for a dollar or two bucks, and on the Android Store, and and start creating a new revenue stream. Trust me, it's not gonna cannibalize what you already have out there because it's old stuff, but you're engaging and reaching a brand new audience that's that's chomping at the bit to give you their money because people don't wanna. They don't want to download emulators and all this shit and take money out of Nintendo's pocket. They want to support them, but they're not just giving they're not giving those customers a, a chance to use that hardware to play their products. Yeah, and uh, a company that's doing that really well is uh, Sega, the, the the creator of Sonic. The, if you go on the App Store, they there's probably five or six Sonic games yep. right now, and they're selling them for ninety nine cents a piece. And you know they don't have a console right now, but that's they made a smart move. Instead of saying, "Nope, we're not making another console." See you later, all Sega games. You know they're marketing them now to Apple and Android. Well, the beauty of that also is that Sega they they knew that their time was up, and they and they consciously said, "All right, this is it." And the funny thing is that, and I and I've said this, I'm like, Sega has a, a beautiful stable of characters that can be used across the board. Nintendo see, seems to like throwing them. In, in stupid Olympic games. And one of the yeah. things I've always said is if Nintendo was smart, they'd say, you know what? Let's make a brand new Mario game where you can play as Mario and as Sonic and fight Robotnik, you know, and Bowser through the game. Platforming style and everything. You could do elements kind of like when, when you use Sonic and Tails in Sonic 2, but Mario and Sonic in conjunction. And even on the Wii U, you can make it that maybe the, the kid on the tablet is playing as Sonic and he views the world from Sonic's perspective or Mario's perspective, and you'll be able to leverage that and create something new and engage the audience in an innovative way that hasn't been done. How many times have we all talked about that growing up? Like, hey, man, you know, Sonic and Mario should do a game together, just just as kids. Yeah, and, I mean, for me personally, I think Sonic is probably one of my all-time favorite video game characters, and, you know, like you said, it's like, oh, great, another Mario Olympic game, but... I, I like you said the, the the Japanese with Nintendo. It's such a closed audience. They're keeping everything in house, like you said, and not venturing out. And I eventually, it's going to get to the point where they're going to realize, hey, we're not going to we're not selling like we should. We just need to start selling out to these other companies. And, and the, the the sad thing is that people are going to look at it as selling out. But you know what it is? I'd rather keep the longevity of my characters alive and seeing them thrive in other environments than just leaving them to to be squandered. Like, Sega did it right. Like, you can play a Sonic game on the Xbox 360 on an Xbox Live. You can play it on the PS3. You can play it on the 3DS. And you know what? It keeps Sonic out there. It's one of those things where you can show a Sonic toy to any child, and he'll be like, that's Sonic. 
Yeah, I mean they even they even had a new release in 2006. The this, uh, I think it was ju- it was called Sonic the Hedgehog 2006. So, you know, they're not just porting old games, but taking new games and right. throwing them on these other consoles. They really should. I mean, when they did the the downloadable episodes for Sonic on Xbox Live, I said, "Wow, it's a nice return to form." And it really made people kind of kind of feel nostalgic and want to support the product. And in Nintendo's case, it's extremely unfortunate that they're they're really setting themselves up to be taken out by not just the the PlayStation and Microsoft but by Apple as well or or just portable gaming in general yeah and you know i think once they really once once they stop releasing consoles or finally say hey this isn't going anywhere i i think that's when you'll see this you know taking their games and porting them over to other consoles. But I just think because they've got new generation consoles out and they're still releasing consoles, that that's why they're keeping everything in, in-house in currently. One of, the, one of the things that's been happening as of late, and I mentioned this earlier, was you know the resurgence of, of Sony with, with PlayStation 3 taking second place in top sales, in some instances even surpassing Microsoft. And it's not even becoming a question of Sony releasing just original IPs to... to take market share but they're also just releasing better quality games like like games that are graphically impressive from start to finish i mean you play the third uncharted game and i feel that that's a game you can use as a gold standard to how gaming is going to develop in the next in the next five to ten years yeah and another game like that is god of war that, oh, yeah. that game is you know that that's a real exclusive and that's you know what everybody's looking for yeah i love kratos i've i've I play. I've played them in order, and I felt that when I saw God of War three, I said, "Yeah, this this is this is the future at work." Yeah, because I think their E three trailer last year was just insane. So you know they're they're definitely setting the scene there, and you know I, I Xbox has got one major exclusive, and it's Halo, but Sony's got a lot of smaller exclusives, and I I'd personally rather have a bunch of smaller exclusives than have just one major exclusive. I think that Sony's problem is, and and that's part of it, you know, just having smaller exclusives is a plus, but I feel that, you know, Sony's cross-platform game, you know, chat being being something they can't have, or the other part that they kind of just throw hardware in front of you and then kind of squelch on the software. I mean, when the PlayStation 3 launched, you know, they they went hard, Uh, like, hey, you know, you got a Blu-ray player, you got a home theater, and blah, 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 and it was great, but then it's like, here's five games. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and uh, like you said, one thing that's really plaguing them is their online is just god awful. It's you can only chat with one person at a time, and they have to be playing the same game that you're playing. It's just it's not practical that, that they're online. And everybody says, you know, I bought a I bought a PlayStation because the online's free, but I would personally rather pay seven dollars a month or sixty dollars a year for better online when I could talk to ten of my friends at the same time instead of only being able to talk to one over on PlayStation. Well, that's that's one of the things. I, I, I have decided and I've implemented this probably for the last year and a half already to two years. Single-player games, un- unless I've played them on the 360 and their saves have something to do with the sequels, get played on the PS3. Multiplayer stuff or stuff that a lot of my friends have that I want to just sit down and shoot the shit with, 360 only. Yeah, and look, you know, another thing is... is I, I think that the, this whole console thing, I think it should be go where your friends are. 
if you've got all your friends on PlayStation, then get a PlayStation. If all your friends are around Xbox, then get an Xbox. That's a good way to look at it, too. I mean, the tough part is, though, going all with all your friends to the PlayStation 3 is only going to mean that you're only going to talk to one of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, you know, you can talk to multiple of them, but you'll have to be playing the same game, and I'll be in the exact same lobby. So, you know, it's definitely a struggle. How do you feel with regards to the PlayStation Plus, you know, the, the paid component, and they kind of... By, by by giving you all the free stuff, they kind of make it e- more appealing to use their service versus Microsoft where their paid component allows you to access stuff that, while it is nice to have, you know, HBO Go and all that, but it's not, it's not something that's making you jump out of your skin. Do you think that in terms of premium content, Sony's kind of gained the upper hand? Yeah, and I think it's, I think it's the, the reason that Sony's doing this plus and, and, why it's so successful is because it's already free to play online. So if you have the extra five or six dollars a month to put into the to the console, then you can. And if you don't, then then you don't have to. Unlike the Xbox, where if you don't have the extra five or six dollars, you can't play anything online. So you know people are already buying the console. They probably already have five or six dollars extra a month to put into you know this PlayStation Plus exclusive. Well, with the release of it now on the on the Vita, do you think that's going to start giving the Vita a little bit of a renewed shelf life? Because the Vita came out strong, beautiful system, graphically impressive, now a paperweight, much like the PSP. Yeah, and to be honest, I don't I don't see myself. I don't know what what it, what it retails for. It's like what two hundred, two fifty. You can get a two fifty, uh, and then a three hundred. And what do those retail for? No, the, 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 oh, oh, that, that's the retail price. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, I would never see myself spending three hundred dollars on a mobile gaming device. I, you know, with a screen that's that small, and you know, just being able to play on on the Vita, why would I spend three hundred dollars on that when I already have an iPhone or an iPad? Sense to me, I agree a hundred percent. I just I. I you know, the PSP was a great thing because it was the first thing. You know, the the DS was out, but it was still big and clunky. But, you know, the Vita, I don't. I, I personally don't think that they should have released it just because they, they, they've seen the market. The iPhone's so popular. Android devices are so popular that releasing a dedicated um, mobile device at, at a price point of $300 is just, it's a lot. Yeah, well, the, the part of it that... that- really tripped me out was the fact that they were like yeah you know we're gonna add this this dial-up component you know this 3g uh broadband component to it which becomes another thing it's almost the equivalent of of paying to get online and the funny thing with that is that it sounds attractive and it's great but gamers aren't ready to embrace that aspect of gaming yet and it's not even embracing it it's they can't how 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 strong and sturdy is a 3g service outside of a major city oh it's it's dead i mean you're you're going on a road trip from montana to to new york how how much stable 3g are you going to have throughout that throughout that uh ride it's, <laughs> it's not enough to to play online and you can say well if you're on wi-fi but if you're on wi-fi you're most likely home and if you're most likely home then you're going to be playing a console not not a vita no, that was the thing too. A lot of people were asking me, like, "Oh, you know, why, why don't why don't you have or why don't you play more handheld games?" And I'm like, "Listen, if I want to play a handheld game, my phone will go with me to the bathroom, or the iPad will go with me to the bathroom. There's no necessity for it. I don't I don't commute anywhere. 
and I like playing on the big screen. Meanwhile, one of one of our other writers, uh, Slick, he commutes on on the Long Island Railroad. So handheld gaming is is a bigger deal to him. But he's also sitting there and he's going to play a more intense game, you know, Fire Emblem or Pokemon, something like that, because he has the time to actually appreciate that functionality. Yeah, and you know, you know, if you're a business person that you know traveling all the time, it's great. But like you said, if you're somebody that doesn't travel a lot then it, it, it's almost a useless device yeah at that, at that point it's it's a little it's a little crazy to to entertain that type of a purchase but it's funny because even gaming on your mobile phones has it has increased in quality to the point where it's on par now with with a vita or a 3ds especially when you look at a game even though it's it's hokey to use but you look at something like Angry Birds, which started off so simple, and now the colors so vibrant, the designs, the level design are a lot more intensive from start to finish. Even even their Star Wars incarnation, extremely well done. Yeah, and a- a- as you see this, the, you know the the iPhones and the Android phones getting faster and better processors and better better video cards in them they're going to be able to pull the same quality that a dedicated 3DS can pull. And it's also a phone, and you can text on it, and you can do Twitter and everything else. So, you know, you don't have to carry around three devices to, to play games, make a phone call, and browse the internet. Do you feel comfortable with your console becoming kind of your your media center, or is it something that you're, you're kind of 50-50 on? Because don't get me wrong, I... It's nice to turn on my Xbox once in a while and watch Netflix, but I, I can just as easily, you know, turn on my, my my Google TV. But I just feel that they're trying too much too soon in terms of making it making it your centerpiece, especially when when the hardware isn't there. I think that if you're going to do that and you make your 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 system say your DVR also, at that point I can see that. But I just feel that now at this point. They're just adding way too many ancillary things to it with the system not being caught up enough to support all that. Yeah, and you know, like they're market they're marketing this to the mom and the dad that don't know, you know, a whole lot about computers and everything else. So they're going, Well, I can buy this one device and I can watch DVDs and Netflix. And it and for them it's probably great. But for for somebody that's more advanced technologically it's not. I mean, the the Netflix on the Xbox, it's buggy. It, it's like it's got a terrible UI. Trying to search for for movies and TV shows on that is terrible. And like you said, it's just it's not ready yet. And until it's ready, I think that they should stop marketing it as you buy one device and you can get rid of everything else in your entertainment system. Yeah, that that was the thing. I mean, I I watch a lot of HBO Go. I watch Netflix, and I use all my my consoles for that but i also split it up because i'm a google tv user and honestly the the ui for all that is is extremely uh one-dimensional not to mention the fact that they're just adding so much con- they're just bombarding you with so much content that a lot of people and i've and i've spoken to them at length they go sometimes i'll just turn the shit on and i don't even know what i want to watch it's because <laughs> yeah. of that reason you know you have netflix you have crackle if you have files you can watch cable tv on there all the sporting channels, um, Hulu Plus, and, and you know, all by the time you're done, you just say to yourself, "Can I can I just watch what I need to watch, please?" Yeah, and you know, I think that's 
what when it comes to this, you know, I want to watch this, I want to watch that, and that's when I think something like a Google TV is better because that, you know, that cross searches and and does other things that that an Xbox doesn't, where you have to go in and open each app separately to try to find something. Well, one of the things that's been stepping in, and and Google TV's gradually done it. And that's why I bring it up. They're starting to implement a little bit more of the of the gaming atmosphere in there. You're starting to see more of that. You're also starting to see more Android-based smaller consoles, such as you know the Ouya, which a lot of people are saying is is very interesting because it's a hundred dollar console and it's running on Android. How do you feel about those entrants into the the console wars? You know the Ouyas, the the possible Steam box. Um, and, and all those other platforms that are that are being kickstarted as, as we speak in some instances. I'm, I'm going to cover all of those separately, but the Ouya, it, it it's running Android, so it's going to be running Android games. You know, most likely there's going to be a lot of games that are on your Android Google Play Store now, and they're just going to be ported over. But the issue is, is what I mean? Do you really want to be playing Angry Birds on your 56 inch TV? You know, these are all supposed to be supposedly free games on this Ouya. What is the quality of these games going to be like if these developers aren't making a dime off of you as a consumer of these games? Not to mention ads. <laughs> yeah, I, oh, my God, you're going to turn that thing on and it's going to be like, click here for Amazon affiliates, click here for this, click here for that. It's going to be ridiculous. Yeah, I think the the worst part is that they take something like the Ouya console and they and they plug it and they promote it like it's going to be this revolutionary thing. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's great. I get to play Angry Birds on my TV and that's fantastic. But it's it's really about creating um, a, a brand new IP that that is native to that system. You know, like Infinity Blade, you, you think of that in iOS and you're like, look, that's an iOS product and it looks nice and it plays well. And that's one of those things that's kind of like the gold standard. It was almost like when Instagram was an exclusive for iOS. You know, that was something that was exclusive to that device. Now you look at Ouya and you're just like, oh, great. You know, Android games with ads. Yeah, essentially. And, you know, you're going to see a lot of knockoffs. Like, there's going to be Minecraft knockoffs on the Ouya that don't cost anything. And there's there's not going to be any, I, I shouldn't say variety, but there's not going to be any true developer of a game. You know, you release an Angry Birds game on the Ouya. I come along and I release an Angry Birds game, but but without birds, you know, it's dogs or cats or something like that. So because it's free, they're just going to be, you're going to have the one general idea for a game, and there's going to be 15 games that are associated with that idea. Well, and then, of course, the, the, the brand new one, you know, Steam's trying to get into the party, and I think, I think Steam honestly has the better chance of gaining some traction because they can really just grab that that market of gamers that don't really feel like investing in a PC. Yes. But I'm concerned in the sense that the the quality's not going to be on par with the PC and people are going to get, you know, that's going to kind of turn people off. Yeah, these PC gamers are really hardcore, you know. These are these are people that are wanting to play their games at a full 120 frames a second without any lag at all. And for them to to for the Steam Box to compete with an Xbox or a PlayStation, it's going to have to be a reasonable price point. You know, it's not going to cost $800 because people are going to want this amazing video quality aspect. So they're going to have to make it 
a, a realistic price point, you know, $200, $300, $400 to make it somewhat reasonable for a normal consumer. So they're going to, you know, they're not going to pull the hardcore audience over. But if Steam was to come to me today and say, you can spend $800 on a computer or buy a Steam box and they'll basically play the same games almost exactly the same. I'd go with the Steam box if it would only cost $300 or so. Well, what about a system like OnLive? OnLive, I remember, honestly, I went to a, to an Engadget event at the time, and OnLive looked extremely revolutionary. They were showing, you know, Batman Arkham Asylum, and I was like, all right, that, this is a step in the right direction, and, and we see that it just it, it started off with a bang, and then it just went out with a whimper. Yeah, and the reason that, like I brought this up earlier, the internet is still not fast enough for most people. How how fast are you going to be able to stream a video game on, you know, fifty six k? It's just it's not reasonable for at least America yet. You know, we're I think we're one of the lowest in bandwidth speeds. People just don't have access to that bandwidth for streaming games. And there's another console that's coming out that that's supposedly streamed games, and that's going to fail just like the OnLive did. Well, one of the things that you know you've referenced a lot with regards to that is is our bandwidth uh, obviously google is is looking to to change that by creating their own their own broadband and giving people these these pilot programs for it do you think with regards to that that google's going to become a major player not only in that space but just in regards to being the preferred method of of delivery for those type of games well, if they can you know, go into these markets and give people a reasonable price point like they are in Kansas City, it's going to be a no-brainer. But until, that you, until you see this, this Google Fiber spread out throughout the country, it's just another internet service provider. Makes sense to me. I honestly, I honestly liked the concept when I saw it, but then I started seeing their channel line up and what they were giving people. I was like, eh, maybe, maybe not yet. <laughs> Now, do do you living in the city? Do you have Time Warner Cable or FiOS? I gave Time Warner Cable the boot, and I switched to FiOS because I, you know, I, one of the reasons was I watch a lot of wrestling, and we I used to watch HDNet, and they took it off Time Warner. I was like, all right, I'm done. I got tired yeah. of paying and paying and paying, and then them taking removing all the channels that I liked. Yeah, and now what what are your thoughts on the the? The Verizon channel lineup because I had a I had a couple family members that switched to to Verizon and I just I wasn't impressed with their channel lineup. Well, you know what it is, my if if there ever came a time when I can just pay for the exact channels I'd I want, I guarantee you I'd probably eliminate eighty percent of the channels I have. Yeah, no I, doubt. I mean, how many you know, what is it? Baseball channels? Do you need? No, nope. I mean. Do you need 15 baseball channels? Well, that's part of it. The other part is I, I, the content I consume is all relevant to, you know, to everything I work on. So it's, you know, some broadcast television, um, Spike TV, Food Network, and things of that nature, you know, FX for original programming. And then the rest of it is all like cable movie channels, Showtime, all of that. That's, that's all I ever watch. All those channels are all I ever watch. I don't watch you know, travel channel occasionally, but not crazy. I don't watch home and garden or any of that. So by the time you strip all that away, I can honestly tell you that I, I probably have, have 25 favorite channels at best. And in regards to Fios, they give you so much that for, for anyone to have any complaints, 
in my opinion. I just think that it's because they're being extremely selective on what they watch because you have at that point every channel. Yeah, no doubt. That That's what gets me. Like when I got it, I was like, I, I got the full package and I'm like, yeah, you know, oh, great. 900 channels out of 900. I watch maybe 25. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, you, you know, taking each separate channel and bundling it along until, until major network providers, you know, like the, the, the food network and the NBC and the ABC sell it to the internet service provider a la carte. That's just not going to happen because they're not going to be like, well, oh, people aren't going to subscribe to my channel. Well, the craziest thing also is the fact that it, it, there's there's so much segregation with regards to how people are consuming their content. Because one of the funny things is people, they talk about Nielsen ratings and what people are, are not comprehending is that, yeah, Nielsen ratings are great in terms of gauging a show that's being watched at that moment. But we live in a society where consumption is needs to be consumed when they feel like it. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's like... Yeah, that show didn't do so great in the ratings, but you're not calculating how many people may have already DVR'd the show and watched it the following week. Yeah, and you, and also you're not calculating the people that are going to watch it six months later on Netflix. Bingo, and that that that's that's an issue, and that's something also that creates this this fracturing of program consumption you know because you got your hulu plus programming which isn't the same as your netflix programming which isn't the same as your cable programming so by the time it's all said and done you're consuming some stuff on hbo go some stuff on netflix maybe you have amazon prime and you wander there but your your consumption of media becomes so fragmented that you end up really just hating everything on your everything your provider offers because it's not providing you exactly what you want yeah, and you know, since everything is so on demand, I want it now. I want it now. There needs to be some device, and I know there's devices that are doing it that will take your cable input, just like a cable box. You know, it'll be a little more expensive, but it'll it'll take the place of your cable box, so the cable will go into it, and it will do everything. You know, it'll search Netflix, it'll search Prime or uh, yeah, Amazon Prime, and it will also search your cable. And that's something that I don't see right now any major devices doing. Well, to to blow your mind a little bit, Google TV actually does that. Like I um I, I recently switched. I had an original Logitech Google TV and I decided to get the Sony offering because I got tired of having the big ass keyboard on my desk to to navigate the service. The the Sony system, the front of the remote is a touch uh based input that you can navigate with your thumb to create a cursor. Then you flip the remote over and it has a full keyboard on the back. So what I do is I watch my programming occasionally. I'll pull it up in Google TV and I'll, you know, I'll star, I'll add star ratings to the programming and then it'll pull up similar programs or repeat viewings of that. But if I type in Scarface, it'll pull up Scarface on Netflix, television, Amazon. If I have, you know, if I have Amazon on demand, it'll find ways to pull it up and let me know how to access it. So it's almost there. And I actually think that if they invested just a little bit more money into it and got more publishers behind it, that the Google TV platform would be, should be integrated across the board for that reason. Yeah. And like that, that is a great thing. Like I, I personally, I, I haven't had any experience with Google TV and I didn't even know that it did that, but that that's really what you need. Cause I mean, you can go on your cable box and search a show, but it's only going to give you searches for that. So 
like you, like you said, there needs to be that device that, that does it all and does it all well. Well, if they implement that with consoles, I think that would be a good way for, for you to also use that to see, hey, you like playing Call of Duty. Maybe you want, might want to play these other first-person shooter games. Oh, and if you want to play them with um, multiplayer, here's the multiplayer. And just break it down, almost taking what, what Facebook tried to show off with their search and adding it to gameplay because sometimes you want to look for a for a game when you log on and yeah you have to go into a lobby and go through all that but what if you wanted to look at a a, a listing of games that were played by your friends that were played by your friends at 11 o'clock each night and just dig a little deeper and sort by time i think that implementing something like that from a community gaming aspect would just revolutionize the way we engage as, as gaming consumers yeah, and you know, like you like you said, putting you know that kind of cable box into into your console. Do you do you think that people would be interested in you know, let's just say a current console runs for about three hundred dollars. Do you think they'd be interested in you know taxing another hundred dollars on top of it so that you can search your your cable provider plus Netflix, who and all this stuff in one setting? Honestly, I think that if you did that and it and it allowed and not only that, but the cable companies allowed it to play nice with their service i think it's a no i think honestly people would jump on board because think about this they added they added files to xbox live you can watch most of those channels already you already have hbo go all of that is dependent on your cable login as it is so if they said hey you know just plug in our cable wire into the console and you don't have to pay us hardware fees you don't have to pay us for you know equipment it's recognized as a device and it'll deliver all your content. I think doing it from that standpoint would really, really bring the console wars, not to a close per se, but it'll just be a matter of what company puts out the better games and not what company has the better side projects. Yeah, but unfortunately, you said cable providers have to play nice with it, and I just don't see that happening anytime soon. Well, I'm surprised that even Fios allowed their 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 channels to appear on Xbox Live. I was shocked. I went on there, and it's like USA Network, a lot of the stuff. And it's crazy because you go on, it shows it like a regular cable guide. You click it, and it goes right to the channel in your Xbox. So we, I think we're almost there, and I think right now it's kind of a testing phase. But honestly, look at the technology that's in your cable box now, how antiquated and shitty it is to begin with. So yeah. why not use the cutting edge hardware? Yeah, you're not going to beat me over the head for the 10 bucks for an equipment fee. But guess what? You get to keep me as a customer. Yeah, and you know, let hypothetically, let's just say only Verizon Fios offered this with, you know, the next generation consoles where it, you didn't even need a cable box. I think people would be more interested in switching to Fios if Fios was in their area because now they spend $400 on an Xbox and you're not getting hit with the equipment fees, and you only really only have one device in your entertainment system. Well, TiVo tried to do that, and they and they tried to do it with you know using the cable card input from cable companies. The problem was that it was it was way too new and way too restricted for people to jump on board. But if they find a way to make it that consoles can consume that content so much easier, they honestly would would thrive. I've always felt that using TiVo, TiVo probably has one of the best interfaces that that so many companies are missing out on i've always said and and a lot of and a lot of my friends say the same thing like tivo you know microsoft should have bought them and rolled that into the into the xbox and just make that your set top box 
or Sony could have done that and, and scooped them up and, and integrated that into the PS3. I think that that type of a model would just make make the console more appealing, not only to just hardcore gamers and, and, and guys like us that consume content, but just to the families that don't want to go and, and get that when they can just go and buy the console, call up their provider and say, listen, you know, I'm plugging this wire and set me up. Yeah, and you know that that will truly be when you see that switch happen when you only have one device in your entertainment system but again this point that these cable providers have to play nicely and currently the way that these cable providers act i just do not see it happening no we're not i i got to agree from that standpoint and we're probably not going to see that if at if at best probably for for 5 to 10 years uh, five years being the the wishful thinking, ten years being probably the the norm, only because legislation is changing the the landscape of just companies in general, uh, and and the accessibility of public knowledge is becoming something that you know it's like now Facebook, Facebook recently they they signed legislation so Facebook and Netflix can play nice together, yeah. so uh, things like that it's changing and it's going to change more so. But it's not a change that we can really honestly look forward to in five years. But I think a 10-year window and and an evolution of the medium and something that you said, just the evolution of broadband ac- across the country will probably spearhead that and force those changes. Yeah, and w- you know, going back to this with these next-generation consoles, I don't think that you're going to see any major changes just because like the technology just isn't there yet nope. but the, the the next next generation of consoles the ones that come after the xbox 720 are really when you're going to see this whole home integration into one device yeah i think right now what they're going to do is they'll probably test it out a little bit they'll test the waters and they'll kind of start adding some stuff i mean from what i've seen from from rumored um different components that are being rumored to be appearing in the new xbox like they're looking at possibly you know, integrating Blu-ray, and it's like, look, you know, you, you're you're going to have to pay Sony for it. And at that point, yeah. it's becoming it becomes a question of the success of your console hinges on the hardware of another company. So things like that are going to really start changing the landscape. And with that, it's going to become a question of what innovation you can have to help you stand out. Because it's the same thing that happened with Apple and Samsung. Samsung was like, oh look, we get to see all of Apple stuff first. I think we should get into this market. And before you know it, you start seeing Samsung really make an impact to the point where Apple had to kind of pull back a lot of their stuff. And I think when it happens with Microsoft and Sony, it's going to have to force Microsoft to come up with something completely different to not rely on that. Yeah, and like like you brought up the example Blu-ray. You know, if the, if the next Xbox comes out and it's got a Blu-ray player, you're going to be like, you know, come on, Microsoft. Yep. <laughs> Let's get some innovation going here. Let's just not take, you know, for, for me. I would not go out and just buy a PS3 because it's got a Blu-ray player. Nope. I, yeah, how much are a Blu- how much do Blu-ray players run? Like what, fifty bucks, fifty, sixty bucks now? They're they're really inexpensive. So to to put that in a console and say this is an exclusive, you know, that that's not going to be the case anymore. Well, no, because uh, originally the PlayStation 3's Blu-ray component allowed it to use a uh, a media with with higher space capacity, which allowed obviously better better graphics, better, you know, bigger levels on that, on that hardware. And it's not even maximizing an entire 50 gig disc in some situations. So for Microsoft to do that at that point, it's just like, Oh, look, we have the same sneakers just because we have the same sneakers. Doesn't mean we run the same speed. Yeah. 
and that's what's good. That's that's pretty much how it's going to be. Yeah, no doubt. All right, so we 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 pretty much ran the gamut. <laughs> <laughs> but um, time to wrap things up. Of course, your website is radargaming.net, but let our listeners know where else they can find you and how they can get in touch with you. Um, everything is generally at radargaming.net. You can find links to everything there. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I am at GamecastLive. And also, you can look for him on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash radargaminglive. All right, that's it, man. Nick, thank you so much for taking some time to take us behind the mic. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me.